Well, good morning and welcome to Gateway. We're glad that all of you are here with us, especially if it's your first time. We're glad that you're joining us this morning. And uh, if you are a student grade 6 through 12 and it is your first time, uh, you, can, you are dismissed uh, to student ministry. It looks like everybody got the, the message. But just in case, uh, I want to make sure you're not stuck in here with me. Hey, uh, good morning again. You know, last week uh, I was a little bit under the weather and, uh, you know, uh, it's good to have somebody like our student minister, Luke, who can step in uh, really at the last minute and just do a phenomenal job. Uh, I was uh, so proud of Luke. And, you know, I, preachers don't work just one day a week, no matter what you might think. But if there is one day a week that you don't want to get sick, it's really on Saturday. Uh, and so I guess Sunday, too. There's two days. You don't want Saturday or Sunday. Uh, but that's what happened to me. I had all these other days I could pick from, and Saturday was the day that my body picked. Uh, and, and so Luke, you know, not necessarily at the 11th hour, but pretty close to it. Got the sermon on Saturday night and just uh, knocked it out of the park. And so I was proud. And it's good to have somebody like Luke uh, that I can turn to uh, if something like that happens. You know, it's Palm Sunday, as we've mentioned, and we are entering uh, the Holy Week as we prepare for Resurrection Sunday. And this is what it's all about. This is what our faith is all based upon, because without the resurrection, our faith would be in vain. And so next week, we celebrate our our risen Savior, our living hope that has defeated sin and death so salvation can be offered to the whole world, to all that would call upon the name of Jesus. And as we've approached Easter Sunday, we've been talking about the Apostle Apostle Peter and his road to redemption. And this morning, we're going to be continuing that. We're going to look at Peter's transformation this morning. You know, we all love a good transformation story. One of the greatest transformation stories, of course, belongs to the wonderful Cinderella, who was being mistreated by her evil stepsisters and stepmother. And she went from that to becoming the belle of the ball with a little help from her fairy godmother. Or there's also the transformation of the beast and Beauty and the Beast, or Ariel and the Little Mermaid, or Well, it seems like most Disney movies have a dramatic transformation of some sort in them. And why? Because we love transformation stories. It gets us every time. You can know it's coming and still have allergies when it happens, right? It still can cause tears. It's not just Disney movies, though. We, we also love the transformation of Ebenezer Scrooge from, the, from this mean old man who hated Christmas to a guy that's passing out gifts and, and going door to door on Christmas morning. We love the transformation of Eliza Doolittle and My Fair Lady, Fair Lady and the Transformer movies. They were some of the big, biggest box office hits of their time. I mean, we love the transformation of Bumblebee and Optimus Prime. And okay, maybe I've gone a little too far, right? <clears throat> but it's not just these fictional tales of tra- transformation we love. You know, it's also, you know, we see every day, every day we see ads on TV or, or testimonials on Facebook or Instagram with before and after pictures showing how a product whitened somebody's teeth and changed their life or it helped them get healthy and lose 100 pounds and now they, they want to tell everybody about it. And why does that suck us in? Because we love a good transformation story. We love to imagine that happening to us. You know, everywhere we look, there are stories and pictures of transformation. In in nature, caterpillars, they become butterflies. Tadpoles become frogs. And that puppy that you got last week will one day transform into a giant dog that tears apart your house. 
This is the perfect year to talk about transformation, or for perfect time of year to talk about transformation, because if you look outside, you can see transformation happening all around you. Winter and its death are transforming into new life and a spring. Flowers are blooming, trees are budding, and I'm certainly glad I didn't preach this sermon yesterday, because it would have made no sense. I'm going to speak it into existence and say, that was, the la- that was it. That was all for the snow. We're done, right? We're into transformation spring now. You know, our love for transformation is also part of the reason that we love some of the Bible stories, like the story or the parable of the prodigal son. What a transformation story that was, from pig slop to the ring and robe in just a matter of days. We love transformation stories, and it's part of why we love Jesus. And if there's anybody that should believe in a good transformation story, it should be the followers of Jesus Christ. The belief that we can come in here and no matter what we're going through, no matter where we've been, no matter what we're coming from, we too can be transformed. That people can see their lives transformed by Jesus Christ. And if we had to use one word to describe the life and ministry of Jesus and how he impacted people, I think we might use the word transformation. Jesus, he never left people in quite the same condition as what he found them in. He left many people healthier. He left some people more hopeful. He left some with a renewed attitude. He left some cleansed of their sin. He left many challenged in their faith. You know, even people like the rich young ruler or Judas, he he left them different too. He left them frustrated or bitter because they couldn't let go of their own desires or their own agenda. And when you look at all of Jesus' interactions, he truly never left people quite the same as he found them. And it wasn't just people. Situations, they were never quite the same as when Jesus got there either. And his interactions with the woman of Sychar or the resurrection of the son of the widow of Nain, entire towns were transformed by Jesus and his ministry. Storms, they were stilled at the command of his voice. Uh, Hungry crowds were fed by the work of his hands. Sins were forgiven when he died on the cross. Death and grave were conquered on that first Easter Sunday. And salvation was no longer only for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Yeah, I think we can safely say that Jesus' ministry was and is a ministry of transformation. And as we've looked at the life of Peter, we've seen some moments in this guy's life of incredible greatness, really some mountaintop experiences where he did incredible things, but we've also seen just some major head-scratching blunders. And Peter's life first intersected with Jesus when his brother Andrew came to him and said, Peter, we found the Messiah. And that is when Peter's transformation began right there at the beginning in that first encounter. John says that Jesus Jesus looked at Peter. And remember last week we we talked about this look from Jesus, that it was a caring, understanding look. And here in their first encounter, Jesus looks at Peter with that same look that he would later look at him with after his third denial. And Jesus says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Now in your footnotes, you'll see that Cephas and Peter both mean rock in Aramaic and Greek respectively. But at this point in his life, (laughs) Peter wasn't like a rock at all. He was so emotional and so impulsive that he resembled a leaf blowing in the wind more than he did a steadfast rock. 
Take, for instance, the scene we find in John chapter 13. Jesus and his disciples, they're in the upper room preparing for their last meal together. And after the meal, Jesus gets up. He takes a towel, he pours some water into a basin, and he begins to go around the table washing his disciples' feet. Now, in that culture, foot washing was an act of hospitality. It was an act of gratitude. It was an act of humble service, but it was normally performed by a servant or the wife of the host. Definitely not by the leader of the group. But that night, that night was different. Different. It was an unexpected act of love performed not by the least, but by the greatest, by Jesus himself. And as Jesus makes his way around the table, washing each disciple's feet, nobody says anything. John doesn't record any word being spoken until he gets to Peter. I mean, maybe they were all so shocked and surprised. What is going on? Why is Jesus washing my feet? They they didn't know what to say. They were speechless. When Jesus got to Peter, Peter said, Lord, why do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And boy, what a turnaround. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Wow, he really changed a little bit of his tune when he found out what what Jesus was doing here. Peter goes from refusing this amazing act of service to asking Jesus to give him a full bath instead. I'm here, wash me. You do whatever you need to do, Jesus. Oh, Peter, he was, he was so eager for the approval of Jesus. I mean, he so badly wanted to, to get it, to, to understand, to see what Jesus saw, and to understand what Jesus truly meant when he said things. And even after all this time of being with Jesus, he still threw him so many curveballs that he could never quite understand what Jesus was really looking for. And that's why he seems like a leaf to us so many times. It's not because he, he doesn't have convictions. It doesn't, it's just he so badly wants the approval of Jesus. He, he wasn't always quite sure what the right answer was. But man, he so badly wanted to understand and be on board with Jesus. Peter's leaf-like tendencies, they're yet another relatable quality for each one of us. See, we can relate with him because we're a lot like him. Before Christ came into our life, none of us were models of Christ-like consistency and confidence. And even now, we struggle to be a rock of character and behavior. I mean, sometimes we're unsure of what it even looks like to live a life that's pleasing to God. Our emotions are inconsistent. And one day, we're happy and everything's great, but the next day, something happens and it makes us angry at the world. Our faith is sometimes inconsistent. And one day we're sharing our testimony with our small group. And the next day we might find ourselves doubting his existence at all. Our behavior is inconsistent. And one day we, we can do anything. We can resist all temptation that comes our way. And the next day we are getting entangled in the sin that so easily brings us down. Our personality can be inconsistent. And one day, it is Pleasantville. We, we're whistling. We're walking down the street. There's a birdie on our shoulder. Everything's great. But the next day, nobody even wants to be in the same zip code as us. In short, we are an inconsistent people. And that can be frustrating as a Christ follower because maybe you've been following Jesus for most of your life, yet you still struggle with living a consistent Christ-led life. But friends, take heart. 
Because even Peter's struggles lasted his whole life. For all that Peter accomplished in starting the church, for all that we look up to him for, and for all of his growth, one of the last mentions of his life shows him being rebuked by the Apostle Paul for his treatment of the Gentiles. More inconsistency from Peter. Peter, he helped start the church, and things are going great, and thousands are being added to their number daily. He's clearly on fire for Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit. Yet he's still got this blind spot for the Gentiles, and some of his old prejudices start boiling up once again. And this life, man, for all of us, it's a, it's a race of endurance. It's a marathon, the race that has been marked out for each one of us. And the thing is, we're so goal-driven, we have it in our head that there is a finish line that we can one day pass through in this life and say, I understand everything now. I don't struggle with sin anymore. I can do this, right? We get it in our head that we can, we can accomplish full understanding and a perfect life. Well, here's the bad news. Our sinful nature means that we will never not struggle with sin. And the mysteries of God, they are so complex that you'll never be able to fully understand and comprehend them. But here's the good news. Just like Peter, Jesus knows that. And he knows that you're going to struggle, and yet he still loves you immensely and invites you in just the same. And throughout their time together, Jesus, he saw Peter's desire to get it right and his eagerness to learn, and he knew what he could become. And Jesus was going to transform Peter into a confident and consistent leader in his church. So this morning, I want to look at four events that Jesus used to transform Peter into the rock that he would become. And the first is his close friendship with Jesus. You know, we could almost say that, that Peter was like a, a three-year personal project of Jesus. After he called him to follow, Jesus made Peter one of his closest friends. He was in the inner circle of Jesus along with James and John. He went with Jesus just about everywhere and did everything. And along the way, he received a, a lot of encouragement and instruction, but also his fair share of rebuking. In fact, there's nobody who received more rebukes from Jesus than Peter because it was how Jesus, it showed, he showed that he loved him and he was shaping him into something more. You know, rebuking sounds bad. That's just a weird word, right? It's kind of like a harsh word. And, even, and then when you find out what it means, you're like, oh, that's even worse. Nobody wants to be rebuked, right? But think about your kids, you rebuke your kids more than anyone else. Why? Because you're trying to shape them into something more than a crazy person, right? You're trying to make them a civilized part of society. And the same was true with Peter. He was trying, Jesus was trying to shape him into something more. Not just a civilized person, but into the leader of his church. In Matthew 16, Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In Matthew 18, he says, No, Peter, not seven times, but 77 times. In Luke 22, he says, Simon, Satan has asked to have you so he can sift you like wheat. And in John 21, at the end, he still says, If I want John to live until I return, what is that to you? You stay focused. And that's a lot of rebukes, but that's just four. That's just what we could fit on the screen. There's more than that. That's just a small sampling. You know, I, I don't think any of the other disciples had the number of mentoring moments and exchanges with Jesus that Peter had. 
Jesus took a special interest in Peter to make him and to mold him into the leader that he wanted and believed that he could become. And this was a major contributor to Peter's transformation. If we're to be transformed into the image of Christ, we have to get close to him. You simply can't live like Jesus if you don't know how Jesus lived. We can't love like Jesus if you don't know how Jesus loved. How can you become something that you don't know? How would you even know what you're trying to become? Friends, we must have a close relationship with Jesus Christ. And Peter had a close friendship with Jesus. You know what? That didn't keep him from receiving these rebukes, from receiving this godly counsel. And in our transformation process, we must not avoid godly counsel as well. We have a tendency to only want to hear what our itching ears long for. We only want the counsel that agrees with us or supports us. You know, if you would be honest, you would say there's a lot of times when you think about who you're going to ask their opinion or what do you think about this, you know, or how how should I go about this? It would be like, I'm going to go to the people that I know are going to tell me what I want to hear because I really just don't feel like having a fight right now. I really don't want the negativity in my life. Here's the thing. True transformation can only take place when we are willing to listen to the counsel that disagrees with our feelings. If you only listen to people that tell you how great that you are, then how will you ever improve? You can't be transformed if you think that you have already obtained perfection and, spoiler alert, you haven't. There's nobody here that's obtained perfection because that's impossible. So neither have I. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We all need to accept that. We are all imperfect and in need of growth and transformation, so we must accept the godly counsel that we need to hear alongside the support that we want to hear. But it doesn't just stop with the godly counsel from others. It comes from the godly counsel of God's word as well. We must read and follow all of God's word, not just the parts that you like or the parts that make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside or the parts that are easy to hear, We need the stuff that challenges us as well. Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so if you're not allowing yourself to be reproofed and corrected, to be taught and to be trained by scripture, then you're skipping the parts that you need to hear. And if we want to be transformed, we need those parts to help mold us into who God wants us to become. Listen, I'm sure Peter wasn't crazy about all those rebukes. I'm sure there were times he felt like, I just can't do anything right for this guy. I've been following him for three years, and he's still coming at me. I still can't get it. But you know what? When you settle down a little bit, you go, you know what? I'm being rebuked by Jesus. Yeah, I'll accept it. Because I know that he, ha- he loves me, and he has my best interest in mind, and I know that he's making me something better and something stronger. So friends, let us accept the godly counsel we need to hear. Let us study God's word and meditate on it and allow ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let us surround ourselves with friends that will be honest with us so we can grow together, iron sharpening iron. Find yourself a friend that will be honest with you and rebuke you like Jesus did for Peter. These are the things we must have if we want to be transformed second event that helped transform Peter was his quick admission of failure. 
You know, last week we covered Peter's three week, or threefold denial, and we talked about the moment right after the third one where he met eyes with Jesus and immediately began to weep bitterly. And we mentioned that that was a sign of genuine repentance. Now, when we repent, we acknowledge that without God's help, we are unable to live the way that we want to live and the way that he wants us to live. When we repent, we acknowledge that we have messed up, that we have fallen short of the goal. In Luke chapter 5, we we read of the time when Jesus is out teaching on Peter's boat. The crowd had pressed Jesus all the way to the water's edge, and so he ends up having to use Peter's boat as a preaching platform. And when Jesus finishes his message to the people, he tells Peter to go out a little bit into the lake and throw out the nets. Peter responds almost in frustration, Jesus, we've been fishing that spot all night long, and we haven't caught anything. It's not going to happen. Just leave me alone. And Peter, he's really just being stubborn here. I mean, who's this guy? I've been out here all night. Who's this guy to come preach this sermon and then tell me what I should do? The fish ain't there, Jesus. You know, he's tired. He's ready to go home. I'm sure he's disappointed that he didn't catch anything. He just wants to go get some sleep. But it's Jesus, right? So out of respect for Jesus, he puts the net out anyway. And of course, because Jesus is the master of the land and the sea, so many fish get caught up in the net that it starts to break. And it was so full that Peter has to call James and John over for more help. He can't bring it in by himself. There are so many fish that both of their boats begin to sink. I guess Jesus is right, right? Peter has a little bit of a humbling moment here. Now, I don't know if you've ever had one of these, but usually the quick admission that you were wrong is a little bit hard to come by, right? When your pride's hurt. <laughs> but before things had even settled down, Luke tells us that when Peter, Simon Peter saw this, when he saw it, He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And it was a moment of physical exhaustion, of spiritual weakness from Peter, but his repentance and his admission of failure was quick to follow. And that should be our model. Peter didn't try to rationalize his behavior. He took ownership right there on the spot. He admitted his weakness, and boy, that's hard to do sometimes to just stop right in it and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I messed up. Please forgive me. He didn't try to drag it out. He didn't come back to Jesus in the morning. He didn't take some time to to cool off. He just stopped and swallowed his pride, realized his failure. So that should be our model as well. Don't try to drag it out. Don't try to figure out a way that you were somehow justified or find a loophole where, well, technically I was right. If you look at it this way, I I was right. You know, I had a reason to be upset. No, just admit your guilt and make it right then. Don't drag it out. We must follow Peter's example and be quick to admit our failures. We will never be the rock that Jesus wants us to be if we continue to rationalize our behavior. And so stop blaming your personality. Stop blaming your genes. Stop blaming your childhood. Stop blaming your circumstances and your environment. Stop blaming the culture that we live in and just own our failures. God's word is the standard that we should be living by. And that's a tough standard to live up to. That's real hard 
But you know what? That's the point. It's supposed to be hard to live up to because it shows us that we are all sinners, that we are all in need of a Savior. And so it's okay to admit that you failed and that you mess up and that you fall short. Denying your failures is just letting your pride stand in the way of that truth. We fail. We are all sinful men and women, and we all need Jesus Christ. And the quicker that we admit that, the quicker we can be transformed by him. The third event that helped Peter be transformed was his assignment after the resurrection. At the end of John's gospel in chapter 21, Jesus has this post-resurrection conversation with Peter after breakfast one morning. And as Jesus looked at him and said, or, and Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now I want you to notice what he calls him here. He doesn't call him Peter. He calls him by his old name, Simon. He didn't call him, hey, Rocky, this time. No, it was Simon. Perhaps it was a reminder of how unstable he had been. Maybe it was a call to recommitment. You know, Peter had denied Jesus three times, and now Jesus is calling for a recommitment to him. The interesting thing about these, both of these events is when Peter denied Jesus three times, it was around a campfire. Well, now in this time of recommitment, it is again around a campfire, and it might be the first recommitment of a, at summer camp that's ever been recorded. If you ever been to summer camp, you know that the recommitment to Christ around the campfire is a popular choice. Uh, three times Peter had denied him. And now in this passage, Jesus is asking him three times if he loves him. And, and Peter, man, he gets a little frustrated with the challenge. John tells us that Peter was so grieved and frustration, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. I think Jesus has his full attention here, and he realizes that, and he said, okay, then you feed my sheep. In essence, Jesus was saying, I have a mission for you, Peter. It's a big one. It's going to take the rest of your life. It's going to take all of your life. It's going to take all that you've got. You're going to go and preach the gospel. You're going to have influence over others. You're going to teach people how to follow me. And in the same way, if we want to experience true transformation in Christ, we need to receive our assignment and to take it seriously. We have all been tasked as followers of Christ to love God and to love people and to serve those around us and to make disciples. And if we're not going to take that seriously, then what are we doing, especially this time of year? I like that old saying that goes, you make a living by what you get, you make a life by what you give. And there are a lot of Christians who are doing nothing, but there are no Christians who have nothing to do. And so let us get serious about our assignment that we have received from the resurrected Christ. The fourth event in the transformation of Peter is the filling of the Holy Spirit. After the ascension of Jesus into heaven, the disciples, they all gather in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, and it says that Peter stood up and led the group in choosing Judas's replacement. And then in Acts 2, Luke tells us, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other, language, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now, this is exactly what Jesus had promised just a chapter earlier, right before he ascended into heaven, when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so this filling of the Holy Spirit causes them to speak in other languages that they had not previously known. And we know that the tongues here are are languages because Luke tells us that all the different people who were there said, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Now, what's interesting is that the Greek language here, right, in Acts 2, the way that it's written, it's so specific that it indicates that they were hearing Peter and the others speak, not just in their own language, but in the specific dialect dialect of their own language, like hillbilly English. (laughs) Now, that shouldn't be too surprising because God would want want us, wants to make sure that we clearly understand his word and what he's trying to say. Now this, by the way, is why we don't use the King James Version here and why we prefer a good modern translation. I think God would want us to be able to clearly understand his word, don't you? Now we used to use the NIV in our preaching and for our focus time, but in the last several months we've begun to use the ESV because it's a closer word-for-word and thought-for-thought translation. Unfortunately, in some places, the NIV has some gender-neutral translation that's a little bit disappointing, so we switched over to the ESV. And although it's important that we hear and read and understand the Word of God in our own language, in our own dialect, it's even more important that we are all filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe this moment helped transform Peter into the rock that Jesus had always seen in him always what he knew he was capable of. Now, with the Holy Spirit in him, Peter was empowered to do the work that God had set before him, including preaching the first gospel message focused on Christ, where he concluded with these words, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And we know this was the Spirit-filled message because 3,000 people came and responded and were baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit that day. Peter was being transformed by the Holy Spirit right before their very eyes. And it continues. And I want to look at two more quick ways that we can see his transformation by the Holy Spirit. The first is that he started giving Jesus all the glory. One chapter later in Acts 3, Peter and John were going up to pray, and a lame man, a beggar, was beside the road asking for money. And Peter says to him, well, we don't have any money, but, but I'm going to give you something better. Get up and walk. And the man got up and began jumping up and down, shouting for joy. And this caused such a stir around them that people started to gather, and it gave Peter an opportunity to preach a second gospel sermon. But it also got Peter and John into trouble with the Jewish religious leaders. And when they were questioned, Peter, who maybe earlier in his life, before the transformation really started taking hold, maybe he would have maybe taken some credit for the healing. But instead, he points all to Jesus. And in his explanation to the crowd, he says, By him, this man is standing before you well. And then he says, And Jesus is the only way that you can be saved, from the wrath of God. 
When you're transformed from your old way of living into a new way of living, you start giving God, start giving God more credit and more glory than you take for yourself. In fact, you get to the point that one day you, you give all of the glory and all of the credit to God. Another way we can see this Holy Spirit transformation in Peter is that he gave careful thought to the issues. In Acts 15, there's a dispute amongst the Jewish Christian leaders. There's tension starting to form between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the Jewish Christian leaders, it's, they're upset about the way that the Gentiles are responding to the gospel and coming to Christ. They say, this is the, the Jerusalem council, and these leaders are essentially saying that the new converts, if they want to become Christians, they first must become Jewish. There's a lot of implications to that. I'll just leave it there. But if you want, they're saying, you know what? That's fine. You want to come over? You have to go what we've gone through. Or at least you have to be Jewish and Christian, but it's not an option to not be Jewish if you want to call yourself a Christian. There's a lot of wall building here, a lot of gatekeeping by these Jewish leaders. And Paul and Barnabas, they come, and if you know Paul's mission, man, you know he was heated about this because this was the exact thing that Paul fought against, that you would ever make a Gentile go through what the Jewish people have gone through. That's not what Jesus was all about. Jesus knocked down the wall that they're trying to build. So Paul and Barnabas, they come, and Luke says that beforehand they had no small dissension and debate with these Judaizers. They're heated, right? There is a fight going on. You have Paul, you can imagine, he's raising his fist, and he's pointing his finger, he's sweating, right? He's all upset about how repugnant it would be to make new Christians go through the rituals of Judaism before they could get to Christ. How could you ever wall off Jesus? Verse 6 tells us that all the apostles and elders were there debating this issue. Man, it's, it's heated. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things, shouting a lot of things, I'm sure. But I want us to notice that what verse 7 says here about Peter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. After there had been much debate. This wasn't the old Peter anymore. See, the old Peter would have been one of the first ones to stand up. In fact, the old Peter might have been fighting Paul and saying, no, I'm with these guys. This isn't the open mouth, insert foot Peter that we've known previously. No, this was a patient, confident, and transformed Peter. The, Peter, the pebble had become a rock. And this rock later wrote, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tested that the Lord is good. Peter was being made more patient because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a changed man. He had been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And friends, I hope you believe that we can change too, that we all can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. But in order to be transformed into the rock that Jesus wants us to be, we must first submit to him and remove all the pride that keeps us in our comfort zone, that keeps us in our status quo. We have to allow room for the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we must decrease so he can increase. I believe I truly believe that all of us are capable of the type of transformation that we have seen in Peter. If only we would allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to shape our lives. 
And that could be the most amazing transformation story we ever hear. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for hope. I thank you for the hope that we can change, that there can be transformation, that we're not dead in our sin, that we're not locked in to who we've always been, that we're not locked into who we are today, but that you loved us all so much that you would offer a hope of getting out, that you would send your son Jesus to this earth, that our sins could be forgiven, that no longer are we dead in our sin, no longer do our sins keep us from you, but they have all been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for loving us so much that you would give us mercy, that you would give us grace through the blood of Jesus. Father, as we enter into this this holy week, I'm so thankful, not just for the cross, but for the empty tomb. An empty tomb that says, my Jesus has defeated death. That says, my Jesus has given me a hope that extends beyond this world. That no matter what might come my way, I know there's more. I know that when I call upon the name of Jesus, when I make him the Lord and the King of my life, that I am saved by your wrath, that I am saved from this world, and I save from my sin. And so, Father, this morning I, I pray that my hope is that we would want to be transformed by you, that we would not be so stubborn, that we would not be so prideful, that we wouldn't allow ourselves to be transformed by you, just like Peter was. There's a lot of instances where Peter could have st- been stubborn and stood and stuck his ground. But he was always willing to be taught by Jesus. And I pray that we would be too, that we would always be willing to learn, that we would always be willing to to get better, that we'd always be willing to admit our failures and where where we fall short. But that we would always remember that there's hope for each one of us. Father, it's... The rebukes didn't, weren't the only thing that Peter got. It didn't stop at the rebukes. But Peter was transformed into something so much better. And I hope that each one of us here this morning would hear that message that no matter where we're at today, no matter how many rebukes we have to endure today, there is a hope for transformation, true transformation in our lives. And it all ends with getting to spend eternity with you. So, Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your amazing grace. I thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you don't have this close personal personal relationship with Jesus, where you have said, I want him to be the Lord and the king of my life forever, I hope you make that decision today. So I want to come forward. I want to be baptized. I want to leave my old life behind and become a new creation in Christ because that's all that matters is who I am in Jesus and I can be made new in Jesus Christ today.
You know, we didn't focus too much on it, but right there in Acts, Peter says the only way to be saved by the wrath of God is through Jesus Christ. And that's not the only time that we can read that in the Bible. Jesus himself said, I am the only way. And this, this world can tell you, man, there's multiple paths. You're free to be whoever you want to be and believe what you want to be. And you can try to follow something that agrees with how you feel. But the truth we read in the Bible is it's only Jesus. And that goes against a lot of things. That can feel really constricting. That can feel like my freedom's being taken away, that I can't be who I want to be. But there's a different kind of freedom in Christ. It says that I am not held down by my sin anymore. I'm not held down by this world anymore. That I have the confidence in my faith that said one day I could spend eternity in heaven where there is no more evil, there's no more pain, there's no more sickness, there's no more tears. It's a whole different kind of freedom in Christ that you can only know once you've submitted and given your life over to him. So if you haven't made that decision today, I, I hope you'll come forward we can baptize and we can all celebrate that there is a new creation in Christ today. There is a new person that has declared that Jesus is the Lord and the King of their life today. If you need prayer this morning, I'll be right down front as well. And I, you know, this world is hard sometimes, and but God knew that. God knew what was going on in the world. He's He knows what's going to happen in the world. And so, as part of knowing that, He's given us this amazing gift of prayer. A God that invites a relationship with us, a personal relationship with us, that says, I want you to come to me with all these things. All the stuff you're going through, I'm here and I'm listening and I love you. And it may not always work out the way that you would hope or the way that you think it should work out, but I'm always here. There's not many people you can say that about, that they're always there. So I'd love to pray with you this morning. If there's something going on in your life, you're just struggling right now, maybe the life of a loved one, I'd love to pray with you. Maybe you don't want to come forward. Maybe you see somebody that's just going through some things right next to you. You know somebody in your group or something like that. It's okay to pray out there too. Pray with one another during this final song, whatever it looks like. But that's okay to pray with one another while we're singing. You can come up front and we've been doing this pray for one. And we're doing it all year. And if you've not written a name on the board, I encourage you to think about somebody you can commit to. Somebody in your life that you can say, I want to be praying for them. I'm committing to praying for this person that they may know Jesus. They may come back to Jesus. I love them enough that I want them to come to Jesus. And you can write that name on the board. We have all these other names that we're praying for right now. We can add one more to it. Maybe you want to plant roots here at Gateway. Place your membership here. Be a part of what we're doing in this community and what we're, what we're trying to accomplish bringing new souls to Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, I would love to talk to you about bringing your membership to here, here to Gateway as well. So if you have a, a decision to make or you need some prayer, I'll be right down front this morning while we stand and sing our final song together.